Cheers. Welcome to Tardes Tequileras. My name is Berta González Nieves, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Tequila Casa Dragones. And we are in San Miguel de Allende, at La Casa Dragones, uh, in Recreo 16. And I have two very special guests today. I have Pedro Reyes, Mexican artist, contemporary artist, and Laura Copland, uh, the head curator of Ballroom Marfa. Thanks for having us. So I'm here, I'm the director and curator of Ballroom Marfa, and we um, are an art space in far west Texas. And actually, we've had a relationship with Casa Dragones for quite some time now. And also, Pedro, you've shown at Ballroom. I'm Pedro Reyes. I am a sculptor uh, who, also, in addition to, to making sculptures, works in a range way of uh, like mediums and interests and uh, I live in Mexico City. I think there's such an interesting connection between all of our worlds, Mexico City, Marfa, San Miguel de Allende. Berta, can you tell us more about where we are actually, the history behind? So San Miguel is uh, one of the most beautiful colonial towns in the heart of Mexico. It's right at the center of Mexico and it's actually a world heritage site by UNESCO. It's these gorgeous cobblestone streets And uh, it was actually voted by Travel and Leisure two years in a row, the number one city in the world to visit. Yeah. And that charm and the history that it has, it was um, San Miguel de Allende was important because um, the dragoons that actually lived here at the time of the when the Spaniards were in Mexico, they the actual first conspirational meeting to plan the Mexican independence movement happened in San Miguel de Allende. And... Um, And then here was where the ignition of the movement of independence started by the Dragoons of San Miguel, which is what the name Casa, where the name Casa Dragones comes from. We adopted that name because we're independent producers and we want to be part of the producers that are actually pushing the conversation of tequila production into the future. Can you tell us a little bit about what it means to have a tarde tequila? Tarde tequilera is a time to sit down, you know, with your friends and actually have, you know, a, a great conversation while enjoying a great spirit. So it's, if you tell someone, you know, any friend here in Mexico, Pedro, you tell, hey, let's go and have a tarde tequilera, how would you define that? Well, it, it certainly will be a time for, to talk, no? It's like a conversation uh, where you're going to catch up with your friends and uh And have fun. So, but it's like kind of smart fun also. Smart fun. Yeah, there's a conversation <laughs> involved. Yeah, because the thing is that um, I think that one of the things that ha that that Casa Dragones has brought into culture is uh, breaking up the myth that that tequila is a drink that you do shots, which is a total kind of insanity that I don't know where it came from. Yeah. But you know, that that we don't do that. Uh, 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 that was probably a gimmick created for uh, tourists uh, uh, just to sell more liquor. <laughs> but but, but uh, uh, it's not about getting drunk faster at all. It's like precisely the opposite. So. And savoring the taste of something. I think that's the thing that I've noticed, especially about Hoven here, is that the way that you sip it, it's so different. And what you guys are bringing to the conversation around tequila is how to really enjoy the flavor profiles and the sophistication of tequila. That's what so I admire so much about what you guys are doing. Yeah, we want to 
pay homage to how incredible tequila is and want to make sure that we bring the ceremony of taste in everything that we do so that people actually, you know, it's about sipping and savoring. It's about really going on a tour of flavors and aromas that actually, you know, deliver a very well-balanced and complex experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, you all have taken us on such an amazing adventure in San Miguel. Um, I think, you know, the to enjoy this experience and to enjoy these conversations and to be together, to kind of share this journey feels so important to, um, you know, how culture is made in many forms. And so much of what you do seems to have to do with friendships and relationships. And Pedro, you know, you collaborating with the craftsman who uses the this really unique form of carving glass is sort of a nod to friendship in a way via Epicurious, right? So I'm kind of curious, first, if maybe, Bertha, you can tell us a little bit about that, the kind of carving that you use for the bottles and that, that craftsmanship and then how Pedro sort of plugged into that and made it his own with this, with this special edition. So Casa Dragones Joven uh, comes in a crystal decanter, Mexican crystal decanter that's produced in a semi-automatic process. We wanted to do an old-style decanter but made modern. And then each bottle is individually hand-engraved with a traditional Mexican technique called pepita. We wanted to do something in our bottle that actually showcased a commitment that we have to craftsmanship in our production process and also in the way that we interact with our products. We're really excited that this weekend we showcased for the first time a special edition that we are doing with with Pedro um, that has been uh, a, a really beautiful evolution of a conversation on, on, on him getting very familiar with a process of engraving of the pepita, but also intellectually finding something that has a connection for us, you know, a connection that really came through the inspiration of all the different time we spent together and the exploration that, uh, that, that Pedro did. And um, it coincided with a very important exhibit that he had in the Lison Gallery in New York as well. Contextualizing this in, the, in Glyptotech seems really important, the exhibition you did for Listen in <coughs> London. Um, and understanding, you know, sort of your exploration of mythologies and your play within all of these sculptural forms and different forms of media has been so interesting to kind of explore. One of the sculptures that was part of this show was a very tall monolith, uh, which was a portrait of Epicurus, the, 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 the Greek philosopher. It's very, very simple. So it's almost like a line drawing. And from that uh, sculpture, when the invitation for Casa Dragones to do uh, a piece, uh, after a series of attempts, which were going in different directions, uh, I ended up settling with the idea of doing this kind of a line drawing, very simple line drawing to, to echo that sculpture. In, what is curious is that, you know, for me, sculpture doesn't need to be anything more than a sculpture. You know, like a sculpture is a sculpture and doesn't need to be something else. You know, like a, it's like a... Uh, yet, it's like a kind of a reference to a, a series of interests that may 
manifest themselves in another in a series of other projects. So often for me, making a portrait of a thinker is an excuse to read that thinker and to study about his connections to other parts of philosophy, etc. So, so it's a you know I want the, the sculpture to be something that is in itself uh, autonomous and a discrete entity, but uh, it's uh, opens a series of conversations that uh, that certainly could very much illustrate what our process was here, you know, like this process of having a kind of a friendship uh, born out of the project. So, yeah, it was very exciting. Can you tell us a little bit about Epicurus's thoughts about friendship specifically and how that factored into sure. his philosophy? I mean, like, the, the interesting thing about Epicurus uh, is that he was very much concerned with pleasure, but, but it, pleasure... Uh, not in the kind of uh, way that people may think of, uh, because right now, you know, in, in our contemporary times, uh, being an Epicurean is associated with uh, just liking good food and, and good uh, wine, etc. But um, that's an oversimplification of a very uh, of, of, of 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 something that is much larger. I mean, um, Epicurus is a philosopher that brings into philosophy a, a ch fundamental change in ethics, and uh, uh, because he, from 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 a philosophy that was concerned with how men or would be good, uh, he starts to say, no, what we should uh, really think of, of of is how to be happy. And uh, and happiness is uh, is something that is real for the subject, and uh, and, and and cannot be uh, judged by others. Um, so it, it was a revolution not only in the realm of ethics but also perhaps uh, theology, yeah. because uh, in a way religions have always. Uh, place some kind of uh, moral value uh, on your good actions and, and, and have a system to, 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 to assert whether one person is going to be good or bad according to their actions, but not so much about, uh, you know, like a, your... Pleasure. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, your experience uh, your Pleasure is often something that is a kind of a almost... Uh, Punished, <laughs> and uh, so what is interesting about about this idea of uh, is that the, the, he says, he speaks about good pleasures and bad pleasures, mm -hmm. and the good pleasures and bad pleasures have to do with sus how sustainable they are. For instance, a bad pleasure, Epicurus says, would be uh, that your happiness depends on money or fame, because those are a, you know, like a dep that that depends on others either uh, praising you or 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 on material positions. That if you they are temporary, and if they pass, 
if that means the end of your happiness, then they were not like a real source of happiness. And he speaks about uh, the good sources of pleasure being, for instance, um, uh, friendship. You know, like he said, like the, mo the most important thing would be for you to have like few good friends that will be long, lifelong friendships are very much in the spirit of uh, Tarde Tequilera, you would say. <laughs> <laughs> and in enjoying something, I think, and taking pleasure in it, um, not in, uh, I mean, the difference between maybe taking shots and sipping some <laughs> sipping some really nice tequila, you know, yes. having, having an understanding of pleasure and friendship mm -hmm. and all of these things being in moderation and and to be enjoyed deeply in some way. I mean, when you're representing someone like Epicurus and you're diving into their philosophy and their life, can you tell us about a, a little bit about like the choices that you made in representing the sculpture, you know, in the way that you did? Because your work moves between, you know, direct representation and more abstract techniques. And the thing that I think is so striking about the way that you've conceived of the sculpture for the bottle is that it's linear. It's so linear. It's almost a glyph in itself. Um, it's a very simple form, but it is so flexible in that simplicity. It implies a face. It implies a profile. It implies a person and a life and a philosophy, but it also is just one line and one dash. Pretty mm -hmm. much. Yes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the original sculpture? Yes, um, the, the original sculpture is uh, over three meters tall, and it's a single stone. So it almost looked like a, one of those heads from the Easter Island, no? Mm -hmm. It's uh, like, a, uh, like the Olmec heads, no? They, that also are, uh, were portraits, and where a single rock is like a big head, and... Uh, and, and, and you have like a feeling that it, in a way it contains a universe. A lot of the stone is left very rough uh, because often I use the roughness of the stone to make, uh, to, to be like the kind of hair. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I only polish certain parts. That, uh, that sculpture being a head that is large, it, it sits without a neck or a body. It has that kind of a feel of some of being very ancient. That that was like the idea to translate that into the pepita, but it wasn't so immediate. You know, okay, the process of, of of translating that it took a lot of trials because actually to do a straight line is not easy. You know, like it's actually the most difficult thing. It, it, the technique is one that it's easier to do complex things yes. mm. than simple ones yeah. right because you know if you have like a very baroque flower or mm -hmm. something like that yeah. that is full of curves mm -hmm. it's easier but the, what is very challenging is to just like do a, a simple line and i think that you know that's a good metaphor of sculpture because sculpture for me especially direct carving doing is thinking if you mess it up you can't go back <laughs> you know you're always moving forward. It's progressive. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, and you're always like going deeper uh, into the stone. The, the 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 hardness and the opposition that the material itself makes your work, your progress be slow enough, so your decisions can be the right decisions. 
there's a lot of sculptures that I had to carve all by myself because I can't have help. And it's very time consuming. You know, the sculpture is a very jealous lover. <laughs> yes. It wants you there all the time. <laughs> but you can also feel that in the sculpture, right? I mean, I think that's what's so interesting about these processes that are slower and what um, what it means to kind of be more deliberate, to slow down, to make decisions that um, are not so easily taken back. I think that's where I see a lot of connection between both of your kinds of craft craftsmanship, whether it's tequila or whether it's sculpture, is in this, in this um, desire to kind of slow things down and make them more felt, I guess, in a deep way. And, uh, you know, watching the carving, the papita carving today, which is done on this pretty amazing lathe, right, that has two ends, one um, that's rounded and one that's pointed. And both of those, the ends of this spinning lathe are able to achieve in the glass, not a cutting, but um, a marking and a creation of like an opacity via the grit of this lathe. When you're making patterns, like you're saying, or like sort of mandala shapes or these very decorous forms that are geometric and um, repetitive, you have this amazing, well, the craftsman himself has this amazing ability to punctuate, to understand timing, to understand movement and rhythm. And I think that that's really incredible that you gave him this challenge instead to kind of move in a um, more counterintuitive way. And when he did it, when he executed it, even though it was so difficult for him to begin with, it was effortless. And to me, watching him do a few bottles and watching him do the profile of Epicurious in the bottles, it was like calligraphy or something, you know, where someone practices a stroke a hundred thousand times and then um, in order to get it right once. Uh, it felt like that when you watched him carve the bottle. You can see, yeah, it's like a body memory yeah. or something. It's something that's embodied in your hands and in your the way that you understand the relationship between the material and the machine and your body. You could see him lean in in a way to the machine. It, it just all felt so intuitive and so like known in kind of this physical way. I mean, and I'm and carving stone, I can imagine, is just a really different physicality and a really different relationship to, to material and your body's relationship to the material. It's very classical. And I came, you know, I know one, I mean, like I didn't went to art school. I, you know, I, I, I'm being, I will, I've been learning the trade of making sculpture in the last seven or eight years. Uh, while also keeping uh, all the social practice and conceptual projects. Um. One of the things that I appreciate so much about your work is this sense of playfulness too, and playing with these really big, serious ideas, but by you implementing this spirit of playfulness and theater and therapy and all of these kind of modalities that are sometimes are outside of like this over serious kind of conceptual discussion or theoretical discussion of a major world problem or event, you're able to kind of come in and shake it up with humor and with play and with these other ways of, of interacting with, with each other. And then, you know, that informs so much the more traditional sculpture. When you have an understanding of your practice, a monolith of Epicurus's head has such a different 
meaning behind it, you know, when there's, when you have a sense of the kind of celebration and experiences that you bring people to. Visual arts only allow a certain degree of uh, discourse. Uh, and sometimes if you have like really complex uh, political situations, etc., that where which are where you have narratives and philosophical discussion, then you need uh, drama or comedy, but like something that would allow you to articulate all those series of ideas. And I've been doing theater uh, sometimes through puppets, sometimes mm -hmm. which puppets are in a way like kind of living sculptures. Mm -hmm. You know, like I have been working with these uh, Japanese puppet makers for uh, ten years now. That also it's like a kind of a well, high degree of craftsmanship in the developing of a character and uh, and all that, but also you know like a, I like very much all these collaborations when so that simultaneously I have to be working with a the puppet maker, with a script writer, with a theater director, with with a stage designer, etc. That so because you know like, a, like film theater is a collective undertaking, and you know like I I only believe that I've been able to do what I've done because of the great collaborators that I have had. And I've been extremely lucky to have to work with fantastic people. In the realm of sculpture or the realm of theater, there are certain standards that people expect and that sometimes in, in, in contemporary art, audiences have a very kind of a big threshold for boredom. Would <laughs> you know, like a, <laughs> they can, you know, like a do like a kind of, a, I don't know, like, witness a, a performance where nothing happens for two hours and sit very patiently. So uh, in a way, I'm very much interested with working within the kind of uh, technical challenges of each medium mm -hmm. and that don't compromise on the uh, on the quality, no? uh, both of the narrative and the content and the form. And the and the and the craft and the craftsmanship. I believe that the ultimate social sculpture is when, when something has some agency independent from the artist. No? Like, and I love that term, social sculpture. It's from boys. Yeah. yeah, it's so applicable to to your work. I mean, you you're you started out and you trained as an architect. Is that mm -hmm. right? I love that you know, kind of all of these modalities that you work in have this applicability in practice. I was reading um, on the plane on the way over here that you were part of a coalition with other architects after the earthquake mm -hmm. in Mexico in 2017, is that mm -hmm. right? To kind of put these material skills into use to, to help um, support the structures of the buildings that had been compromised. Mm -hmm. To have you move from kind of figurative sculpture all the way to kind of this practice of being an architect and making an intervention, you know, in in the city that you live, that feels really like an interesting connection. Yes. How do you manage to kind of move between all of these mediums? I guess I have multiple personality disorder. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's been uh, in a way at the beginning of my practice, I made some works that became kind of uh, uh, popular and I uh, and when you do something that is popular they ask you for more of the same no they want more of the same and then I realized that so pretty soon I could be kind of uh, the guy who does that and I and I decided to do performance and therapies and things that were all the time changing 
in a way because I feel that now I can do anything and I can go in, go in any direction. Every time you go into a different medium, there must be a, in the curve of learning, there must be a process of like, you like the process of discovery mm -hmm. and you like to figure it out. And there's something in there that is, must be very powerful in terms of inspiration and in terms of going into different mediums, like enables you to then give yourself the freedom to go into any space. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, but but overall, it's like these things can kind of uh, you feel the desire that you that, that and you 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 have yeah. to do the thing and you can't help it. Yeah. I mean, happily, yeah, yeah, it's so I, strong I, that yeah. you have to follow it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and happily, uh, I have had support to do those things. You know, yeah. some of them are profitable and some of them are incredibly un unprofitable <laughs> where you lose a lot of money just because you wanted to do something and but you still do it no <laughs> yeah. but they expand the field that you work in and yeah. they expand your connectivity with all of these different um, audiences and modes of of making mm -hmm. I'm curious Bertha what you know in terms of you broadening your field and thinking about kind of innovation and um, sustainability, being the first female master of tequila, is that right? I mean, you know, in terms of kind of um, broadening your field and creating a different approach, a kind of a vanguard approach to the industry, I feel like there's, you know, some similarity of spirit in that drive and in that desire to produce something of a certain quality and, you know, for a certain discerning audience? I think for us, we've wanted to see it as a blank slate uh, and give ourselves a the chance to really not do things in a certain way because we had access to a certain process or do a thing that was, you know, a style that was an understood style by that consumer. We decided to live in another area. Mm -hmm. We decided to live like in one that's a little bit out there that gives us permission to do that, you know, that in, we are giving, that gives us the opportunity to not have to do things in a certain way, to aspire to have the time and the space and the discipline to be able to really expand the repertoire. And exp just saying expanding the repertoire means that you're we're bringing something that is very different to the table. Mm -hmm. Because at the end, the way we see tequila or spirits, it's the theater of taste, you know, that's the way we see it. Mm -hmm. and uh, And that's why... Agave spirits in general is so incredible because there's so much richness, so much potential, so many options to bring to the table, so many processes. So that's why the world is really loves agave spirits because there's so much richness in them. We feel that we're so lucky that we have the opportunity to do what we love. And, uh, and we kind of like put ourselves in positions that sometimes are, we're trying to decipher how to, how to do them and how to execute and how to bring something new to the table. And that's not always easy, but we actually enjoy that. We enjoy that process. When I was just in Marfa and we were at Ballroom Marfa, I have been working with Ballroom Marfa since 2010. I was um, invited uh, by Melissa Feldman to consider serving in your gala, no? And, uh, you had like some auction items and I had the chance to like build with your team a bar and be behind my bar and serving the product in your, in your gala. And that's how I got to know the, the organization and the mission of the organization. And I think it would be great to hear you talk about 
ballroom. Yeah. Yeah. Before we. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. You know, because just hearing um, how both of you approach your creative practices with um, openness and experimentation and. Um, sometimes, you know, a big hit or something that's very popular and then sometimes something that's, you know, um, more of an experiment and ends up being unprofitable in one way or another is this, this kind of spirit of experimentation was how ballroom was started. So our founders, um, it's actually our quinceanera this year. So we're 15 years old and we've been in, um, in Marfa since our founding, which was by Fairfax Dorn and Virginia Leberman, two really um, visionary uh, native Texans who um, thought that there wa- there could be a space in Marfa for a contemporary conversation and for a Kunsthalle format um, space that incorporated rotating contemporary exhibitions, commissions, public commissions, theater, music, um, all sorts of modes of making. And um, they saw the space of Marfa, I think in the same way that you kind of feel the space of San Miguel as an opportunity to make a contribution and to also bring artists to to Marfa, to a special landscape, to provoke inspiration. Um, but I think in this, in this way of working where um, you're really trying to make something new um, or at least open up a space for a new conversation, you, you know, you really do have to kind of move forward with a lot of bravery and a lot of, um, willingness to fail and to, um, to try things and make big ideas happen in a remote and, um, and really interesting and, you know, singular place. So that's one of the things that I think is so special about ballroom is that, um, you know, there are some, there are very real material realities that we're up against being, you know, three hours from the biggest or the next biggest American city, which is El Paso and an hour from the border, um, really way outside of kind of the normal flight paths and um, routes of transportation. It always takes a certain amount of innovation and creativity, especially when you're working with artists who have really big ideas to manifest these things in the middle of the desert. So um, it's been really inspiring to hear about how you two have manifested the things that you're putting it out into the world, because I think we share that spirit of wanting to um, create a space to make sure that we're really thoughtful about, you know, making room and slowing down and creating a space where something untethered from our normal daily routines can happen, whatever the form that takes. Well, thank you, Laura, and thank you, Pedro, for joining us in San Miguel de Allende. Hopefully you'll come back many times. And uh, Pedro, thank you so much for believing in us and for um, you know collaborating with us in this very special edition. We're very proud of it. So well, thank I, you very it, much. it was uh, for me. It was such a delight to you know work with you and with all your fantastic team. And we love Casa Dragones. <laughs> so yes, it's we a, do. It's a beautiful love story. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> cheers. cheers, cheers.